Earth podcast with your host, Jake Weaver, engineered by Cedric Swan. Hey, everybody, we're back with another episode of Midnight on Earth. I'm your host, Jake Weaver, and we're here to bring you more knowledge, more lights, and more love. We have an amazing guest today, Mr. Dale Kazmarek, president of the Ghost Research Society. It's been around since 1977. We have so much to talk about. It's going to be an amazing episode. But first, I need you to follow me on Instagram at midnight underscore on underscore earth. That is the address. You can go there. Follow us. Spotify. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you go to get your podcasts, please click the follow button that connects us so you know when the next episode drops, you know whatever we're doing, you get a notification. And most importantly, please tell a friend, tell someone that you know that loves these type of podcasts that would be interested in the Ghost Research Society. Talk to those people, let them know we're here, word of mouth. It's how we spread midnightonearth.com. Okay, so we're about to talk to Dale Kazmarek. But first, you got to read his bio. Dale Kazmarek is a ghost hunter, paranormal investigator, and president of Chicago's Ghost Research Society. The Ghost Research Society was conceived in 1977 by Martin V. Ricardo, and was originally called the Ghost Trackers Club. At that time, Dale Kazmarek was its research director. Its members were from all walks of life, but mostly those who just shared an interest in ghost research, hauntings, and poltergeist phenomena. In 1982, Dale Kazmarek was given full ownership of the Ghost Research Society and became its president. Dale's been actively investigating paranormal phenomena since 1975, although his interest goes far beyond that. He has worked with psychics who help to complement his investigations, whether local or out of state, and has conducted many investigations concerning ghost lights, haunted houses, battlefields, cemeteries, Indian burial grounds, murder sites, churches, and sacred sites. Whoa. He's the author of Windy City Ghosts and Windy City Ghosts 2, which deals with the strange and unusual sightings in and around Chicago. Other books include A Field Guide to Spirit Photography, Illuminating the Darkness, The Mystery of Spook Lights, Field Guide to Ghost Hunting Techniques, and Field Guide to Haunted Highways and Bridges. He has contributed a chapter for a book released by Bantam, called True Tales of the Unknown, The Uninvited. Ooh, that sounds scary. And several chapters for Dead Zones, released by Warner Books and both edited by Sharon Jarvis. He is also the publisher of Ghost Research Society Press, which produces and publishes fine quality books on the paranormal, mysterious, and supernatural since 2004, and is also the host of Chasing Spirits and the Paranormal, with Dale Kazmarek on Live Paranormal's Facebook channel bi-weekly on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Central. And then that began May 12th, 2021. 
And since 1977, the Ghost Research Society is still active, still working to uncover the mysteries of the paranormal world. And we are very honored to have him with us. Hello, Dale. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for that uh, nice inter- uh, nice introduction there. It. <laughs> well, it's your life. It's your story. You did the work. So, but thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate you being on the show. My pleasure. Well, there's so much to talk about because you've been interested since 1975. Ghost Research Society has been going on since 1977. Oh, we can talk about a bunch of different things today. But the first thing I really want to talk about is from your perspective, what is a ghost? Well, that's a good question because many there are many different interpretations of a ghost, uh, depending who you talk to. Uh, it's always been my interpretation that a ghost is a disembodied spirit of a once living person that for some reason hasn't quite made the transition from this world to the other side. And it's often due, at least in our research, uh, the most often repeated scenario seems to be untimely death. Um, murder, suicide, car crash, a train crash, plane, plane wreck, uh, a drive-by shooting, a, a, a drowning, you know, something that perhaps you weren't supposed to leave the earth when you did. Um, and in many cases, these are uh, violence that's perpetrated upon somebody by somebody else. So what happens in many of those cases um, just like you know, many of the major motion pictures uh, uh, that have been produced, is that uh, the spirit may not realize that he or she has passed on because of the suddenness of their expiration, so to speak. Uh, they're here one moment, they're gone the next, and you know, they sometimes simply find themselves in what I call earthbound, in an earthbound scenario. Now, Hollywood has done a really nice job in recent years uh, with movies like uh, uh, Patrick uh, Swayze and Demi Moore in Ghost, uh, uh, Bruce Willis in Sixth Sense, and even Nicole Kidman in The Others. And all those people that were, uh, all those stars I just mentioned uh, that were in those motion pictures uh, later became ghosts uh, and didn't did not realize that they were ghosts because of the way they died. And in right. many cases, sudden, sudden and violent death. So Hollywood has really gotten much better in uh, interpreting what ghosts really are. So how does that work when you think about spirituality and the different religions and how they teach us that the soul has this journey that depending on what spiritual uh, belief structure you find yourself in, you could be reincarnated, you could be going to a heaven type scenario, but there's always this underlying concept of the soul's journey, like the soul leaving, graduating or going on to another life, going to heaven, going to hell. But yet there's this residual energy that seems to be in place and it's accessing the third dimension. It's interacting with people like you. Why is that? How, how does that come together? Well, see, I was raised a Catholic. Um, and as a six or seven-year-old child, I was always told that there's a heaven, there's a hell, and the Catholic religion says it's a purgatory, something in between. Uh, and the way they explained it to a six or seven-year-old child was that you are not good enough for heaven, but you're not bad enough for hell. So you're kind of like put in a holding pattern, so to speak. That, that was not their exact words. I'm kind of paraphrasing it. So I never quite understood it, but I never, I never questioned, you know, an authority figure. 
Now, later on in life, as I got involved in, in ghost research, in fact, I was a chaplain's assistant when I was in the Army from 1972 to 74, um, I was actually... Uh, it actually makes more sense now because now if you're talking about an earthbound spirit, they're not in heaven. They're not in hell. They haven't moved on. They're in our dimension. So maybe they're in their own self-made purgatory. And I think that can, 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 can apply to a lot of these, um, um, you, know, you know, apparitions that people see, you know, whether they be residual in nature or even an intelligent haunt. I think, um, you know, Einstein said it very eloquently that the, you know, energy cannot be created nor destroyed. It simply changes form. So the energies that are within our body, which are a measurable energy, but what happens to that when we die? Uh, it, it doesn't dissipate. It doesn't go away. It can't be created nor destroyed. So it does live on. So a lot of people call, might call that the soul, if you will, um, when, you, when you leave your body. And that's why you go on to whatever awaits you uh, in the afterlife, whether it's heaven, hell, purgatory for, for a time being, uh, or even an altered state of consciousness, a higher uh, elevation of, of frequency. I mean, we, we don't know. But there are lots of people that have been in contact and have had communications with spirits. Uh, I have investigated almost 4,100 cases. Wow. It, in, in roughly 46 years of doing this this work. So you can see I'm, I've been very active. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I've come across both res, what I believe to be residual and both to uh, uh, to be intelligent hunts. In fact, I've seen quite a number of spirits myself. So you think that some of these people are in some sort of limbo type of purgatory transitory dimension where they're not quite in the next place and they're not quite here. And also there are spiritual entities that you've interacted with that aren't necessarily ghosts, but their consciousness, they're uh, some sort of living consciousness existing in a different dimension. Absolutely. Uh, and you know, there are other reasons why spirits come back too. I mean, there can be spirits and we have you know, determined this through research, through interactions with other people, uh, working with professional psychics that I've worked with in the past, that you know, in some cases, you know, spirits that have completely crossed over, uh, they may have free will to come back and drop in. Oh, wow. Uh, they're called dropping spirits. They're called visitation apparitions. You know, they might come in simply to drop in. They might be a friend, a fr a friend or a family member who has passed and they're just trying to, you know, check in on you. Uh, they might even be what's called a crisis apparition, uh, where at the moment of crisis, you know, maybe you might, you might call it a guardian angel, you might call it a friendly spirit, you might call it a, a family spirit, intercedes during some sort of uh, uh, imp impending danger. An example, you might be coming up to a, a green light, you got the green light and something in your head says stop. So you stop, and so at that moment, somebody blows through the red light. Uh, if you would have continued on, you probably would have been hurt or killed or seriously injured. So perhaps somebody is out there watching out for you. So there are other ways that they come back. They might come back for unfinished business. Uh, they might come back to perhaps show where an undiscovered will or money or uh, stuff like that is left behind just so they can finish their work and then move on themselves. Uh, but other times they are simply emotionally tied to, and not, I won't say an attachment. I hate that word, really. Right. Uh, I think emotionally attached in some way or emotionally, um, I see you still use the word attachment, but emotionally tied, tied to a person or a loved one or even a family heirloom or a house 
that they have lived in. And in some cases, that can be a residual. In some cases, that can be an intelligent. I guess you could say connected. They still feel connected to something. Absolutely. So all of these cases, 4,100, holy cow, that's, I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. So when did your interest in the paranormal begin? Uh, at a very, very young age, I, th- I can really kind of blame my parents and grandparents for telling me <laughs> that story when I was a youngster, uh, because that's really what started me. Uh, you know, my my dad especially. Um, I'm, I, you know, I've never actually, you know, found out exactly how you know, what my genealogy is, but I know my parents, my grandparents, on both sides of the family were Polish, so I'm almost 100 percent Polish. And, uh, you know, my grandparents came from uh, from Poland and they often told me as a youngster Polish ghost stories. And I still remember a lot of these. They're, they're pretty creepy. Uh, my mom and dad, uh, as they were dating back in the 19, late 1930s, just prior to World War Two, my dad was actually a merchant marine and served in the uh, in World War Two. And. Uh, about that time in Chicago, a very famous story started to circulate about a cemetery called Resurrection Cemetery, a hitchhiking ghost story, and they they, they dubbed her Resurrection Mary. Uh, and so my dad, uh, being kind of the ghost hunter, as you call it in the family, uh, thought he he wanted to see for himself that there was something to the story. He had heard the stories, uh, but he wanted to see for himself. So on a Saturday night, when he was dating my mom, uh, they would go out to a movie, a dinner, a show, a museum, whatever the case may be. But on the way back, 12 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning, they'd ride around the cemetery in the middle of the night looking for the ghost. <laughs> Much to the chagrin of my mom, who was absolutely terrified, didn't want any part of it. <laughs> My dad was, oh, no, she's around here somewhere. We're going to find her. He kept riding around and riding. It was pitch dark back in the 1930s. And uh, that was the very first ghost story I was told as a youngster. My my mom told me that. And it kind of set me on the path to later, you know, kind of um, uh, discovering if some of these stories that I was told as a youngster were were true stories, were they uh, urban legends, were they the old wives tales or something like this. And that's what really kind of got me into the field to try to not so much debunk, but just to find out what they were telling me was true or not. Well, it sounds like it was in your blood. Your dad was very interested in ghost hunting. And here you are all these years later, fulfilling that dream and embodying that. Yeah. uh, I I wish he was still around. I mean, he, uh, he died quite young, unfortunately. I, I think he would have been, you know, proud of my accomplishments because he actually was a music, musician himself, and he had composed for a lot of you know, big name people at the time back in the fifties. Um, so uh, there's there's kind of that uh, um, spark within the family, you know, to find out or discover, you know, what lies beyond you know death's door, and that's what really kind of got me involved because my entering into the field uh, was to prove the existence of life after death. So I, I figured if I could in some way definitively uh, and scientifically prove that ghosts existed, then I would say that you could prove that life after death existed because there's a survival of the of the spirit or the soul, if you will, after the death of the body. Right. Yeah, that would be hard proof right there if you were able to actually prove that 
ghosts were real. I mean, we know they're real. I mean, I, I don't see how you couldn't say they were real after all your experiences. You already know they're real. It's just that hard proof that people need in order to really cross over into understanding that this is real. So tell me, though, what was your first experience with a paranormal entity or or some type of ghost where it was like number one? You know, you said you had forty four hundred or somewhere around there over four thousand. What was number one? Well, I will say when I first started out, I mean, I had very little equipment to document what I was doing. And back in the 70s, there was no none of the equipment that you see in the market today. Now, I was using a 35 millimeter camera, a Polaroid camera, uh, a, a cassette tape recorder, and my EF, EMF meter was a compass. Uh, that's <laughs> how archaic uh, it was back then. So, I mean, I literally went on, uh, when I started, you know, back in the, the mid-1970s, and even before that, like I said, I was a chaplain's assistant in the Army, and I was even talking ghosts back then to the chaplains, which is kind of interesting, too, their, their perspective. But it took me, you know, actually, um, I would say at least 20 years or so before I actually had in, in my first encounter um that I could, I could actually say was was something i could say is definitive really and, um, 20 I, years I huh? a lot of interesting pictures using infrared film uh they're also you know up on my website that people can actually see what i caught back in the 1970s of shadowy figures that were not there when i took the took the image this was before the digital technology so you had film cameras so you didn't know if you got anything to, to develop the film and now you get that instant picture but going back to your question um yeah I, I, i'm really not quite sure which one actually came first but i mean you know there were some homes that we had investigated uh back in the early 1980s uh 1982 83 uh with a professional psychic i worked with called pat shenberg who at that time was the, the president of the Illinois Society for Psychic Research. And she was a gifted psychic, and she was one of those uh, real deals, I call them. Um, so we had went to several uh, private homes, um, and um, we had went to Bachelors Grove Cemetery. Now, when we went to Bachelors Grove Cemetery, basically she had, she had picked up stuff that she had no way of knowing. Absolutely. She had never been there. She lived in Morris, Illinois, which is a good uh, – uh, more than an hour and a half away, um, maybe maybe further. She had never seen the location. She was picking up these things. And that, to me, was was spine-tingling, that she was seeing things clairvoyantly, like almost right in front of me, and I couldn't see them. And I just got goosebumps uh, when I was there because it was so interesting to work with a psychic. But I had been into a home. Uh, I can't give the, the exact look, uh, the name, but it was sure. an old park of Boy. Uh, at the time, and uh, we were investigating this home, and it seemed like these uh, the, the husband and wife, uh, who normally were just you know happy-go-lucky people, suddenly turned very violent to each other. In fact, uh, one one afternoon, the the wife picked up a, a very heavy iron and threw it at her husband and just missed his head, um, and that was just not normal behavior for them. They told us that they they were like you know childhood sweethearts. So we went there with uh, Pat Schenberg, and uh, again, we didn't have a lot of equipment. We had an old, old-style video recorder, a full-size VHS camcorder, uh, which were very bulky things back then. And uh, we set up equipment and so forth. And uh, the thing that really amazed me was I had my—I think I had my first interaction in that home. Uh, I was walking through between the 
the living room and the kitchen. And suddenly I walked into what I can best describe as a quote unquote, a zone of fear. Uh, it was like stepping into a little, like a little cubicle area, no more than maybe two feet by two feet. And you immediately got an anxiety attack. You got fearful. Your hair stood up on your arms. You got a, a chill. You got a charge. And I took another step or two, and I'm perfectly fine. I take a step backwards. I feel that again. And um, Pat Schenberg is right there, and I didn't say anything to her at first. Um, she walked through it, and she experienced the same thing. But she also saw something there clairvoyantly. She saw a figure there. And he wasn't a nice person, according to what she said. So it was actually uh, extremely close to where that wife threw that iron at her husband. Uh, so that resident spirit, you know, whoever it was, was apparently not too happy that other people had moved into his home. He still was saying it was his home, even though he had died and uh, apparently had moved on, or maybe didn't move on. Maybe he was still inside the home. So that was one of my first experience that I could say that I really experienced something I had no scientific uh, explanation for. Wow, that's an incredible story. And it somehow not possessed, but somehow triggered these feelings in humans that, that made them aggressive or violent. That's really interesting. Well, what do you call that type of phenomena where it's not quite possession, but yet they're able to influence thinking? Um, well, it, it's, it's, you'd almost consider that, you know, almost oppression. Okay. Uh, it's not a possession. It's not, uh, it's not an evil spirit. It's actually, uh, in fact, I've never cross, come across a, an evil spirit or a demonic spirit in all the work I've done. Um, Interesting. I have found that uh, people that die, um, this, this is my experience, these are my, you know, you know my, my ideas, my hypotheses, if you will. Sure. That, uh, that when people die, they, they, they take along their same personality uh, to the other side. So if you were a very nice person, you'll be a nice ghost. Uh, if you were kind of a nasty person or an angry person, you're going to be an angry spirit. It's just the way it's going to be. Um, are they are they negative? Yeah, I, you, I guess you could say negative, but a, but they're not demonic. They're not demons. They're they're people. They're spirits that have maybe haven't passed on. Maybe they're still claiming that 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 space for themselves. And in one way, shape, or form, they're exuding some sort of energy that can. Um, maybe in some case drive the family apart so the family will finally leave the abode and maybe that's what they're doing it for now in most cases i will say that ghosts are not like that uh, ghosts are not there to haunt a home um, they're there because they haven't crossed over for whatever reason and in some cases they do interact with people and in some cases people can live with the ghost but in this case the ghost that family could not and uh, we were able to at least Pat says she she was able she believed to convince that ghost to simply cross over, and that family never had any more problems after that. Wow, that's an incredible story. I mean, did these experiences make you a more spiritual person? Like once you started to have these paranormal experiences that were super valid, did that make you more spiritual? 
I think I always was was somewhat religious. I mean, when we were growing up, I mean, we never missed a holiday. We went to, you know, Palm Sunday, Ash Wednesday, Christmas, Easter, always went to church on every Sunday. Uh, so we were, you know, I, I, we we were religious, and of course, you know. Then, then I got a little bit more separated from the church. Um, normally, when I'm doing investigations, um, I, you've heard the term "separation of church and state." Well, I, we, we kind of do a separation of religion and the paranormal. Uh, we try <laughs> to keep the religion out of the paranormal because you know so many people have different ideas what's on the other side or what what spirituality all is. So uh, we don't bring that usually into the field. But as you say, uh, yeah, I mean, when I had these experiences, I mean, how do you explain something like that? How do you explain the being touched or in some cases uh, uh, interacted with uh, by spirits? Um, I had all different types of, you know, you know, touching and feeling sensations on my body and not a lot of them. Maybe I can count on two hands how many I've had in 46 years, but you can't explain that. And I can't explain how that happens. Uh, unless there's some some person there, some spirit there, that is somehow this is their only way to interact with you by touching you or by you know making a sound or creating an odor or in some cases a visual apparition, uh, which is by far the least reported way of experiencing ghosts. The, the most often is through sound. So very often people that have reports of activity will hear sounds rather than actually seeing something. Really? So they, the actual touching you're saying in all your cases in all these years, it's only been, you know, under 10 times where you actually felt something grab you. But because of that, like you're saying, it does strengthen your understanding that there is something more than this, like whatever it is, at least we know there's, there's something outside of this life. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm a firm believer that there's a, there's a God, there's a higher, higher being, higher intelligence, higher deity, uh, whatever you may want to call it. Sure. Um, I mean, we all, we, nobody knows for sure. It's already a matter of faith. Uh, but I mean, you know, when you, when you get involved in something where you're, you're, you're kind of touching on that fringe area of belief of the afterlife, because you're, you're going after something that, um, you know, shouldn't be here. I mean, in, in, in the cases, in, in, most churches teach that this, you know, when you die, your spirit moves on. But in some cases, the spirit doesn't move on for whatever reason. And that's the area we are exploring, uh, locations where there are spirits still there. Now, we don't, you know, I have always said that uh, uh, when I was getting involved with this field, I, I, I chose a path, more or less. And the path I chose was to, be a, to, be, to approach this in a scientific fashion. Uh, through the use of paranormal equipment, uh, in some cases bring in psychics, uh, which is a less tangible way of experiencing things because it's more of a, a, a subjective experience rather than something you can hold concrete in your hands. But I, I also kind of didn't want to get, uh, I wanted to stray away from uh, being where you go in and you're, you're also trying to eliminate the ghost too. Uh, through some sort of blessing, smudging, and all those different things, which I don't think actually work in my, in my opinion. Like the spirit so, removal. Oh, we would go in there more or less to investigate, uh, to gather evidence, to make contact, maybe find out who is there. And then if the client wants to take it to the next step, then I know people I can bring in that can 
perhaps convince the spirit to move on. So once you diagnose the situation, when you're doing uh, your initial investigation, once you make that diagnosis, then you know who to filter it to based on their area of expertise. Exactly. We, we go into a location when I bring my team in uh, and I have uh, three professional nurses. I have uh, uh, filmmakers. I have uh, you know, office workers. I have elderly people. I have young people uh, in my group. And uh, some of them have been in the group for as many as 25 years. Uh, so um, when we go into a location, we kind of divide it into fa- th- three phases. Phase one. Uh, first of all, number one, I don't I don't tell anybody that's coming in what's going on. So they have no idea what's going on, except they're going to a house that's allegedly haunted. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm the one that does the interview with the client over the phone or through a Zoom session or whatever the case may be. I document the evidence. Uh, I, I go through the history with her and so forth. And then I bring the team in and they come in totally blind, which I think is more scientific because then they have no pre- preconceived notions of what's going on. They don't go to the creepy basement because that's where the client says the ghost is. They go through room to room and figure out with their equipment what's going on. So that's phase one. You go through with clipboards in teams of two with a, with a floor plan. And you go through one person holding a clipboard, one person using equipment. They go through, they try to get readings, uh, fluctuations of EMF, temperature, uh, whatever the case may, may be, or any experiences they have personally. They document those that we bring back in phase two and we sit down with the client. Now, before the client tells the group what she's experienced or he's experienced, I like to have the group tell the client what they've experienced. That way, the client's not putting any notions into my teams, if you understand what I'm saying. Right, right. So the team is just saying, well, this is what we experienced and this is where we experienced and this is what we equipment fluctuated at. And then the client will then, when, when they're all finished, the client will then say, well, this is what's been going on. And then we see how closely it matches by what the client has experienced and what we have investigated. And I don't know why, don't tell, I have no idea why, but more than 85% of the time we hit the spots in the home where activity is taking place, um, which amazes the client. How does, how do you know that? Well, it's just other people are experiencing the same stuff. We're getting readings, we're getting fluctuations, we're getting temperature variance. There's something going on here. So then in phase three, we finally set up the equipment uh, cameras, monitors, different types of equipment uh, to register all different types of energies. We'll do EVP sessions. We'll do real-time uh, voice uh, um, communication. And, uh, and then, then we go back and analyze all the data, uh, set up a time for the client to, uh, to go over the information with the client. And at that point, uh, we, can get, we can maybe explain what's going on. Maybe we've got some names that come through that, that are relevant to the client. Uh, and then it's up to the client at that point whether they want to take it further to you know, re- remove the ghost or maybe they can coexist with the ghost. Because you know, sometimes clients call us for two reasons. Number one, either they're completely terrified and scared and they want the ghost to be gone yesterday. Or they're curious and they're just saying, well, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a loved one. I, I want to make sure I'm not going crazy. Just come over here and let me know what's going on. But then when we find out what it is, and in some cases give us give her a name, give a name or his or her name, oh wait, that that's that's probably you know Uncle Joe or and and Millie or something like that. And, oh, they're here, fine, leave them alone. We don't want them to leave. 
But if it's somebody a stranger, you know, we want the stranger out. Oh, that's interesting. That's kind of, that's kind of what, we, what we come through when we do our investigation. This is more or less into private homes and private businesses. So after that three-phase investigation, then you say you do ghost removals, but you don't like to do spirit removals, but it, it does happen occasionally? Um, what we try to do, uh, and um, what I like to say is this is a way we, we, we have done it in the past with psychics we've worked with. And we have okay. had psychics that have actually worked on missing persons cases, Atlanta child murders. Uh, Janina Carrico and Melissa Ackerman murder cases here in Chicago. They work with police. They are they are professional psychics and criminologists, and they're 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 not these these telephone psychics you call for readings over the phone. <laughs> these are legitimate psychics. Um, so when we are called back in, uh, perhaps to to uh, uh, to have to alleviate the phenomena in one way, shape, or form, uh, we don't go in there to remove the ghost. And that's where these, these what, what we do is quite different from what is on TV because you see people going on there and they're trying to uh, perform exorcisms or trying to do uh, smudging uh, with sage, uh, sprinkling holy water. That's, a, that's an attempt to drive the spirit out. Um, now, we have no right to drive a spirit out of a home that he or she loved when they were alive. That was their home as well. And why, why they're still there, maybe we can discover that through our EVP sessions. So what we like to do when we're there with psychics is to try to convince the ghost that is there to move on on its own accord, to reach uh, out to friends and loved ones on the other side who have already died and to, to cross over that direction willingly and not to cast them out. We don't believe in casting spirits out unless, you know, if they're negative, then that's something, first of all, I wouldn't get involved with it anyway. I would, you know, give that to a demonologist or the clergy uh, to, uh, um, to, to address. But if it's just a regular earthbound spirit, uh, we just try to convince the, because again, going back to that scenario, ghosts, many ghosts don't realize that they have passed on. So then if you, if you can convince the ghost that they are, in fact, dead and they need to move on, many times they will simply move on. They will find the white light. They will find, uh, uh, you know, the, the passageway, if you will, to the other side. Maybe maybe friends and loved ones will come out and reach out to, to guide them across. Uh, I've heard of this going on you know, many times. We've had, uh, uh, we've had success. In past cases, in, in, in doing just that without doing any creepy mumbo jumbo or speak spooky rituals. So what, what's some of the equipment you use to investigate these situations nowadays? Well, we use a lot of different EMF meters. Now, EMF meters, uh, electromagnetic field meters, uh, will pick up uh, deviations in electromagnetic fields. Uh, again, if, if, they, uh, if there is a surviving personality or a ghost or a spirit there of some kind, they have an energy. And that can, the energy in, that, in many cases is a measurable energy that can be measured with equipment. Or in some cases, it will cause a deviation in normal electromagnetic fields. Uh, you might put it, for instance, you might put a tri-field natural EM meter, which is the top of the line meter on the market which doesn't pick up internal AC fields. So you don't get any false readings of internal fields, uh, geomagnetic or electric uh, electrical fields. Uh, 
when, when that meter settles down, um, and especially using a stationary mode, you find a location that's very active. You put it in there, you monitor it with a camera or somebody will sit in the hallway and watch it. If that meter suddenly peaks and, and buries itself and then goes back to zero, well, what's just happened there? Uh, to, to my way of thinking that we have something that crossed past that meter, a moving electromagnetic field, which is uh, much more interesting than a static field. Yeah. A static field. Static field, if you would put a device like a K2 or a mel meter, you're getting a steady 1.2, 1.3 or something, and it's, and it's just steady. Most likely what you're picking up, you're picking up something in the environment because it's, it's a constant static reading. But if you get something that goes from zero to buries the needle and the back to zero, uh, that means something just moved right past that device. And that's what we look for. Wow. We also have uh, other devices that pick up um, uh, temperature variations, um, digital parameters that will give you an instantaneous reading. Uh, you have, a, 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 it's a wand attached to a very small filament. If you would put that filament into a, into a freezer, it would instantly go to the freezer temperature, say 32 degrees. You pull it out, instantaneously it'll go back to 72 degrees that quickly. So if you're walking through with this device and suddenly all of a sudden it goes from 70 degrees to like 54 degrees and then back to 70, what's just happened? You just walk through something. You walk through maybe a spirit, something that's being caused by a spirit because many times they use the, the energies, the heat, uh, the, 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 the molecules in the air that are moving quickly together to cause friction and they leave behind this cold spot. That's how cold spots normally are formed. We also use a lot of different cameras. We use digital cameras. We use night shot cameras. Uh, we use full spectrum cameras. We also use uh, structured light sensored cameras. Uh, they're called X-cams. And they're actually, you might have seen these on television where uh, it projects a field of invisible dots. If something shows up in that, in that mapped out area, uh, a spirit, something interacts with that, it'll show up as a stick figure. And we've actually had a lot of so-called stick figures appear in open doorways when there's nothing there to form a matrix. Wow. Uh, we've had uh, other uh, equipment uh, like uh, infrared binoculars we use. We use thermal, uh, thermal vision cameras um, to see if anything picks up. Now, most thermal vision cameras are very misunderstood because people think that they, they're, they're – they're very useful in the paranormal. They're, they're not, but they can be adapted. Uh, thermal vision cameras will give you a contact reading. So if you turn the device on and you point it down a hallway, it's going to reflect off a door, a window, a floor, ceiling, a cabinet. That's the reading you're, you're going to get. Now, can it pick up a spirit? Well, yes, if the spirit that moves through as you're, as you're filming has a, a, a considerable mass uh, if it has mass, then it, that mass can be analyzed uh, through temperature. That's the same idea as when you set up a laser grid down a hallway and something, a shadow comes in and blocks some of the, uh, the, the dots from the laser grid. Well, that has to have some sort of mass to interact and block those dots. Um, so a thermal vision camera can be used in that way, shape, and form. And we have a lot of real-time devices we use, like the Obelisk, um, that has a built-in database and also has a phonetic mode. Uh, we use uh, mini portals uh, or spirit boxes uh, that we use that quickly scan AMF and frequencies. 
we actually use a device, an application called the Phasma Box, which is probably one of the most interesting ones we've ever used. We've gotten, and I think I've sent you some, some clips about uh, us using the Phasma Box where entire sentences have come out in the response to questions that we've asked. Yeah, they're incredible. So a lot of scientific gear. In fact, at, at right presently right now, I have over $14,000 worth of paranormal equipment. Wow. So, I mean, and over the years, I'm sure you've refined it, right? This is like in the over 40 years, you started with barely anything. And over the years, you've refined it. And I'm sure the stuff you have now is incredibly effective. Yeah. What people don't understand a lot of times in the, in the paranormal, when, when, if you go back far enough, to say that if you go back to say, even, I don't know, the mid 1980s, uh, early 1990s. I mean, before that, there was hardly anything out there. Then all of a sudden, you started to get some devices that that came on the market that weren't considered ghost hunting tools. Okay, they had other purposes. For instance, a gauze meter, a K2 meter, um, a cell sensor, an elf zone meter. Now, those four or five really early, and even the magnetic field detector number two. All those very early devices were used to detect high EMF fields in your home that could be dangerous to you, to the to to the person. And they were used by professionals. They were used by engineers uh, in case you were having headaches, you were hallucinating. Because you know, if you have high EMF in your in your in your environment, it can cause a condition called EMF hypersensitivity, which you can actually get skin irritation, rashes, hallucinations and all kinds of strange things caused by that. So a lot of times people that have paranormal activity, if they have real high EMF you know, fields in their home, that can sometimes be explained away by simply eliminating that source of those high EMF fields. So when those devices came out, you know, ghost hunters were, were gobbling them up because, hey, they, they can also pick up other things. Well, sure they can. They, can, they might be able to pick up maybe the presence of a ghost or some sort of deviation in normal electric electromagnetic fields. However, those very early devices are sensitive to such a wide, broad area of EMF that they pick up other naturally occurring stuff. So when you get a reading with those early devices, you have to go back and say, well, wait a second, we got to figure out if we're picking up a spirit, if we're picking up something environmentally in the location where we're, we're investigating. Later on, as we moved further down into the 2000s and so, people began, uh, very bright minds, uh, Bill Chapel and others, began to devise uh, equipment specifically for the use in paranormal research. And it had no other use, basically. It was designed for, you know, generating fields, picking up fields, picking up cold spots, you know, whatever. And that's, you know, where, you know, my equipment kind of progressed from. I mean, I had to pick up, just like everybody else, the very early stuff that came on the market. And as more and more sophisticated stuff came out, you know, that earlier stuff we don't even use anymore. I mean, we still have it, but we don't use it. We use it now to pick up natural fields, so we take it in homes to see if there's something naturally going on in the environment that might be misinterpreted as a spirit. Interesting. So you're saying that if there's too much of electrical magnetic uh, situations going on in a person's home, it could create some health effects. Oh, absolutely. It's been well documented. Um, uh, even even government agencies have have um, 
uh, PDF files that you can download about that on, 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 their, on their different websites and so forth. Uh, and you can actually, uh, th there are so many things that can cause, um, you know, people to assume that there's something in the ghost, even, even radon gas inside that built up inside basements uh, that can be detected. We actually have radon gas detectors that can actually pick that up. Uh, if you get too much of that, uh, you know, you can think that you're seeing something. It's, it's causing a hallucinogenic effect in some cases. And uh, um, of course, you also have to go into the idea that, you know, the people that you're involved with, you know, they might be imagining this, they might be an alcoholic, they might be a drug user, they may be on, you know, some uh, mind altering medication for their own, for their benefit of themselves, but that could be causing, um, uh, you know, activity. I, I'll give you an example really quickly. I just got a call here not, not that long ago from a, from a gentleman that um, was having all kinds of stuff going on in his house, really crazy stuff. He was being attacked, physically punched in the stomach, knocked off his chair. Nobody else in the house, however, was experiencing experiencing anything except him and as i just kind of went a little bit deeper and i just kind of you know, trying to be nice i said well maybe it's just all in your mind and kind of nicely said that i said do you have any you know any because this is what we would ask anyway do you have any conditions that might cause this and the first thing he came out of his mouth he goes yeah i'm schizophrenic and bipolar <laughs> gee i wonder so, if that was an issue yeah, so I mean, so that to me right there, I said, well, when you tell me that and you're on medication and maybe you're not taking your medication is correctly, I, I don't know, I'm not there. I said, I, I really don't think I'd be able to help you because if nobody else is experiencing anything, it's only you, it's probably you. I, I'm trying to be as nice as I possibly can to people when they call, but right. it saves us a long trip uh, to go out there to figure out that, you know, that the person is, is off their medication or something like that. Yeah. Cause I'm sure you do get contacted by people that have mental health issues and you don't have the resources to investigate everything fully. And it's a good idea to screen those things because there are those people out there, but I do want to get back to what you said earlier because I, I don't want it to slip away. Did you say that you kind of, in a way, subcontract out the darker calls, the demonic calls to clergy and, and people that handle those types of things. So you're saying those things exist, but you don't deal with them personally. Is that correct? Well, I, I can't say for sure that they actually exist. Okay. Cause we, I've never investigated them. All the only thing I've seen is what everybody else sees on TV and I always tell people don't believe everything you see on TV. <laughs> Some of these ghost hunting shows and I won't mention their names because uh, I get too much hate mail. <laughs> You can't believe everything you see on these reality TV programs. Um, there may, there may very well be, and you know, there. If you look look at the Catholic religion, for instance, you, they can you can go through their their, their you know their evidence. You know, they said they they they've done exorcisms all across the country, all across the world. In fact, uh, even the book The Exorcist was actually based on a true true account of a boy actually in Georgetown. Uh, that had this, and you know, all over the country and all over the world, they've had these uh, reports of uh, demons uh, and possessions and so forth. Uh, I, one of the reasons I never uh, have never come across anything like that is I carefully screen my cases. You know, I I, I kind of know what to look for in in, in 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 investigating as many cases as I, as I have throughout the years. I can get a real feel for what people tell me. Uh, with my questionnaire that I go through, you know, I, I ask them just to tell in their own words, first of all, what's happening, uh, try to put a chronology on it, what, what happened first, what happened next, what room, what time, what date, what day of the month. All this is very important because it could show some sort of uh, um, parallel 
or even um, uh, synchronicity uh, or some pattern that could that could come out of this. Um, and then later on, when they're all done telling me what they tell me, and I said, is that all? Then I would ask them questions because I don't want to ask them questions at the beginning because that you lead a person down a certain road. And then they have a t- sometimes a tendency to, well, maybe my story is not so interesting. I'm going to embellish it a little bit. And that's when you get the, the falsehoods. You got to kind of weed through that. But by going through and screening these cases and finding out kind of activity they're experiencing, what people have done in the home, you know, for instance, maybe people have been, have been out there and there have been a satanic cult out there. And maybe they've drummed up something. Maybe they've been playing with Ouija boards or, or, or automatic writing or seances and opened up doorways and caused this stuff to come in. Because when you do a seance, it's like picking up a telephone and dialing a phone number with your eyes closed. You don't know what you're going to get on the other end of the line. And a lot of times when they, uh, this is often, um, I, I don't want to you know, stereotype it, but a lot of teenagers use Ouija boards. And uh, when they get scared, you know, they just, ah, they run and they don't close the session. It's like leaving the door open and these things come, can come in. In fact, if you remember the exorcist, uh, the, the very first you know, uh, stories began after the girl began communicating with a spirit on a Ouija board that was called Captain Howdy. And it was a nice, friendly guy. And then it turned into scratching, uh, scratchings uh, that they heard in the attic, and they, they thought, thought they were rats. And then there was bounce, uh, uh, bounces and, and knocks and all kinds of stuff. So that can happen. And by if, if I just through my own experience, if I believe that, the, if, that there could be something very negative there, well, why would I want to bring my team there? Right. Okay. Because if if the family's already having problems, you don't want to bring in four or five, six more people and have them have problems or maybe maybe have an attachment of some kind come back with them. So I would rather uh, in that case, you know, uh, find somebody more seasoned in demonology, a demonologist or even start off with the clergy, because usually that's what I tell people have. Even if you're not religious, just tell your local pastor or priest that you want a house blessing or some prayers sent, sent, uh, um, set in the home. And many times it just can come out there. You don't have to tell the priest if you think the house is haunted, just tell them if you want to, you want a house blessing. You just moved in and you want to, you know, a blessing and they'll come out there and you give them a donation of something. And many times that will, that will, you know, solve the problem. But a lot of times it doesn't because this is where we get into where people try to remove the ghost on their own. Uh, give me a good example. Okay. Smudging using sage, which is a Native American Indian custom. If you're trying to use sage to get rid of a ghost, well, if the ghost is not a Native American Indian, they're not going to know what the hell you're doing. <laughs> they're going to say, what's the smoke? The smoke's supposed to be for me to get out of the house. It's just like, it's very annoying. Think about that for a second. The same thing with with a priest coming in, a Catholic, Roman Catholic priest, sprinkling holy water, which is a Roman Catholic tradition. What if the ghost is not a Roman Catholic? It's an atheist. It's a Muslim. It's a Buddhist. They're going to say, well, what's this guy sprinkling water around? What's that going to do to me? You see, that that's why you, got, you really need somebody to come in sometime to kind of get a feel for who the ghost is. And then you can, I won't say attack it, that's the wrong word, but attack the idea of later on trying to remove the ghost or trying to coax it to go on, because I don't like the term removal, by 
what the ghost actually is. Well, that's you know, really interesting. Determine that. Yeah, it's really interesting that they can. seem they seem to line up with their religious and spiritual beliefs in their previous life, and the things that they didn't believe in or weren't resonant with don't affect them. That's really interesting. Yeah, and, and a lot of people don't realize that, and that that's when I when I see these people on TV, they right away the first thing they go is they light some light some sage, uh, they'll burn frankincense and all kind of <laughs> strange herbs like that. Now, I will say that in some cases that has uh, kind of cleared the environment of some negative energy, okay? It kind of, uh, you know, alleviates a little bit of that negativity, but it's not, in my opinion, this is again my opinion, I, I'm, I may get a lot of hate mail for this, <laughs> but in my opinion, it doesn't get rid of a spirit. I mean, the only way you're gonna get rid of a spirit is one of two ways. Is you exorcism, which I don't like to do and I won't do, uh, that's left to the church, or you convince it to move on like we do by using people on the other side to help them cross. Now, if it's something negative, well, then if it's something like a demonic spirit, which is the, the, the definition of a demonic spirit, is something that has never walked the face in human form, the face of the earth on human form. So it's not a, it's not a, it's not a spirit of a, of a once living person, it's actually a fallen angel or a demon. Now, does that exist? I guess if you go by my religion, you know, which is Catholic, you know, the Catholic religion says there is a devil, there is a God, there are demons, there are fallen angels. Uh, can they actually interact with us? Catholic Church says, yeah. My, I, I say I've never come across them. Doesn't, doesn't mean that they're, they're not out there. But I always want to make sure I don't get involved with something like that because it's beyond my ex expertise. And it's probably for the best anyway. Like you said, why walk into a dangerous, potentially hazardous situation if you can avoid it and leave it to someone more uh, that has more expertise in that field? But do you have you ever felt that any of these entities may be extraterrestrial or extra dimensional? Maybe not necessarily demons, but maybe something uh, from another planet or, or another dimension. That's interesting. Uh, yes. Uh, the short answer to that is yes. Um, and part of that is due to some of the readings I've, I've done, uh, readings, meaning reading books, um, not no, psychic readings. Okay. But, um, uh, I have read, uh, I have a very extensive library, uh, that goes, I guess, extremely rare books in my library. And, uh, one of my favorite authors for, for, for touching on what you just asked there is John Keel. Uh, John Keel wrote the Mothman Prophecies, okay. uh, most famous book, but he's wrote a ton of others, Strange Creatures in Time and Space, The Eighth Tower, uh, Jadu, uh, Disneyland of the Gods, uh, the list goes on and on and on. And I actually had a chance to meet him several times in person. He's an amazing guy. Now, he actually talks of what he calls ultra-dimensionals. Okay, not ETs, but ultra dimensionals, in, mm. indicating something coming through either a parallel universe or through a portal. And I am a firm believer that there are such things as portal hauntings. Uh, I've documented them. Really? I, I, I actually had a, um, a PowerPoint presentation that I gave a couple of years ago to a, at a paranormal convention uh, where I talked about these portal hauntings, like doorways opening up. I'll uh, give you one a good example. Sure. Uh, in, um, in Detroit, Michigan in 1946, um, or in the mid-1940s, 45, 46, 
they started to have a, uh, what they ca would call a UFO flap. Now, that meaning, for flap meaning a number of reported sightings of unidentified flying objects uh, in the Detroit area, um, reported by all manner of people, including uh, first responders and police officers seeing strange lights in the sky. Now, at that same time, if you if you go back in those in that time period and you read the, the Detroit newspapers and during that time that flap was going on, you'll also find out that at the same time people were experiencing lights in the sky, they were seeing Bigfoot type creatures, they were seeing uh, hairy cryptids or something to that effect. Interesting. They were also there was also numerous reports of poltergeist activity and even hauntings. Now, how do you explain all that happening at the same time? Well, I explain it as a portal, uh, where in some cases, the, the veil between our world and the next becomes so thin um, that it actually opens up a doorway or a portal. Uh, it can also be uh, exacerbated by people in the area conjuring up stuff too, you know, using seances, Ouija boards, satanic stuff and conjuring up stuff through that through that thin dimension. And then all of a sudden, all the stuff stops. It stops almost the same day. All the UFOs, all the hauntings, all the poltergeists, all the Bigfoot stuff, you don't see a single report out there. It's like they all went back through the door and the door closed. John Keel investigated the, the uh, Point Pleasant, West Virginia Mothman sightings in 1966. Um, he said there was so much activity out there. He actually came through a similar area uh, in, in a TNT factory where supposedly this, 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 this mothman, this, this huge winged creature with glowing red eyes was seen. And he walked into something with, similar to what I walked into that home where I had my first paranormal experience, what he calls a zone of fear. And so I, that's where I get that term, so I have to attribute it to John Keel. He's no longer... <laughs> So, but the zone of fear where he walked into it, he got this anxiety attack and he, and he walked a few feet away and then he was fine. He walked back and he got that. And it was crazy. He went, came back the next day and was gone. It wasn't there anymore. Uh, he also went to interview people about the Mothman. And when he arrived there, the people would say, you're back again? He goes, I never was here. He goes, yes, you were. You were here yesterday. You interviewed me. It was a doppelganger. A double image, a guy that looked exactly like or was J John Keel went and interviewed these people before John Keel got there. Extremely rare, called a doppelganger. Wow. Uh, that's where the idea of the men in black came from. That happened also. These these the, these black uh, uh, Cadillac sedans would, would pull up with men in black, sometimes oriental looking, dark sunglasses, really long fingers. They almost had a Chinese appearance. They would convince people, you didn't see what you saw. And then, you know, the, all the big, I mean, not the Bigfoot, excuse me, all the, the Mothman sightings. And just before, as you know, there was a disaster, the Silver Bridge collapse and all those people, you know, fell into the river in their car. Just before that happened, there were reports of strange lights over the, um, over the bridge. So that to me is another extremely portal haunting that took place out there. And uh, there was activity as far as you know, some poltergeist and hauntings going on at the same time. And then all of a sudden, uh, 18 months later, everything went back to normal. So you think the portal closed at that point? Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh, and, man. Uh, 
you, you can go through and you can look at reports across the country uh, in different uh, states, different cities. And I, I, I would bet that you, you find, you know, several different types of portal hauntings within each state. I mean, there's several right here in Illinois that I've actually investigated as well. Bachelors Grove being a portal haunting that cemetery. Can that so be happened there? Can that be your next book? Portal hauntings. I'm, I'm like fascinated by this right now. My, my brain's yeah. just like sparkling. I, I want you to write that as your ne- next book, please. Yeah, I, I, sh- I should. I've been thinking about that. Actually. I've been doing a lot of putting a lot of research in there. And since uh, since my PowerPoint presentation that I had a few years back, I've actually found several more uh, that I'm that I'm currently researching myself. You know, through through the help of you know other investigators that have been out there in the past. You know, through uh, through research on the internet, through my library, you know, and also libraries in the area, you can really put together a pretty interesting book. Well, what about uh, angels and angelic entities? Like you felt these other types of entities, but what about the very high, very loving, the deep energy of the angels? Um, I have not felt anything like that myself, but I have been involved in cases where I believe uh, the people believe that they had guardian angels that uh, helped them out again in times of, of trouble or times of need. Now, when you say guardian angels, are you talking really about an angelic being or are you talking about somebody who has passed over a friend or a loved one who is acting like a guardian angel? Um, that's where it's, it's we're not really quite sure. But, you know, there have been reports of people uh of course, having great fear, great anxiety uh, because of negative spirits. But on the flip side of the coin, you have a lot of people that have also felt great joy, great happiness, great uh, 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 a peaceful feeling because of the spirits that are there. Uh, and maybe they are uh, a higher level angelic type being. I mean, if, if again, going back to my Catholic upbringing, you know, we, we believe that there are angels and there are devils. So if there's something negative. There can be also something positive as well. Right. For sure. I mean, you, you can feel it. It seems like that polarity exists for a reason. A lot of the spiritual people I talk to have different paths, different walks of life. They all talk about these angelic entities and also talk about the polarity, the flip side, those demonic type entities. Yeah, I have I have a number of books in my library about uh, angels. And of course, I have a number of uh, have a few books on, on demonology, because uh, uh, even though I don't get involved with that, I still need to be, uh, you know, kept abreast of what's going on in that field. Uh, so I, if I do come across something I can always refer back to the books or my readings sure. and determine maybe what we what what we're getting involved with when we accept the case. So, I mean, with all of these cases that you've had, are there any messages that maybe some of these entities have tried to get across that wasn't necessarily for a person singularly or for the people investigating, but maybe some sort of greater message for humanity or, or some kind of overarching message? Has that ever happened? Well, we seem to, one of the, one of uh, the, the most, um, uh, the one word that seems to come through most often uh, when we're doing uh, any type of EVP sessions, ghost box, uh, obelisk, uh, phonetic mode, uh, mini portals, phasma box, whatever the case may be, is the word help. We get that more than any other word. Oh, God. Uh, so 
uh, is it that the people that are uh, maybe haven't crossed over are asking for help? Because it's very clear, these, these helps. And I mean, I got, you know, umpteen uh, recordings. Uh, many of you can, see, you can see on my website from places all across the country uh, where help will come through. Um, or um, if we ask if it needs help, and it'll say yes. And uh, we, in some cases, we try to to um, to ask you know the spirits you know that haven't crossed over. And you know, again, that idea that there are spirits that have crossed over that can come back uh, to you know look out for people and drop in and so forth. What's it like on the other side? What does the other side look like? And uh, we don't get much of a response for that, unfortunately. Uh, sometimes we might we'll get we'll get a response. It'll say beautiful, or it'll say uh, uh, peace, or white, or light, or something like that. Not really a definitive answer, but kind of you know that idea of uh, what people might experience when they cross over. And um, you know, kind of getting off the subject just for a second here. Oh, sure. Uh, when uh, another thing that kind of really um, uh, disturbs me a little bit, I guess would be when people uh, or psychics or investigators uh, try to uh, convince the spirit to move on, uh, they will tell them to look for the light, go to the light. If you remember the, the movie Poltergeist, that little short psychic yes. that was in that movie, she would say, go to the light, there's peace and serenity in the light. Right. Uh, well, yeah, that, that may well be true, but here's the catchphrase. And uh, this is my hypothesis that I've been kicking around for many years now. We know what spirits look like to us. Okay, we see them in spirit photographs. We see them in documentaries. Sometimes we've seen them in our own eyes. But what do we look like to a spirit? Okay, we don't know. We can't answer that until you come to spirit yourself. Uh, do we look like what you look like now? Or do, do, do the spirits only see the energy in our body, which is a white light. Uh, so to, to the spirits, we might look like a white light. So by saying, go to the light, you might be telling the spirit that's there to go and attach itself to the nearest living person. Uh, interesting theory. Yeah, I've never heard that one before. And uh, so I, we don't use that. Uh, obviously, when we're trying to, uh, and again, I don't do it personally. When if we if we have somebody who wants to take it to the next step, it would be a psychic that would come in. I would be there also to observe, to document, to videotape with the equipment and so forth, and then to do readings afterwards to see if there's anything still there. But it would be left pretty much in the hands of the psychic or the the medium that we bring in to do that at that point, or somebody who is very intuitive. Uh, so. You know, they would be the ones that would be uh, trying to cause a, the spirit to move on through its own accord, willingly, and reaching out to the other side, and then not using that go to the light. None of my psychics I've ever worked with have ever used the word go to the light. And it, 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 when I when I started to see these other motion pictures, and I love the movie Poltergeist. The first one was actually kind of cool, even though it wasn't a poltergeist. It was a haunting going on there. Uh, there was poltergeist-like type activity okay movements of objects but they were caused by a spirit which would be called teleportation and not uh, poltergeist and that's something another thing that irks me a little bit sometimes people <laughs> get that wrong. But, but it has um, the cool name so that's why they probably went with that <laughs> exactly it was a cool name but uh, that first one was cool 
And of course, you know, then Poltergeist two, Poltergeist three, and then when they they kind of got crazy after that. So I, it was the first one's always the best. And when you try to do a re, uh, you know, you know, volume two, volume three, it never really turns out, you know, like the first one. But do you think that the light is what you see when you die? Like, is, have, because there's so many people that have had near death experiences that talk about going towards the light, but maybe. Right. Maybe that's like a diversion. Maybe they shouldn't go for the light. Maybe they should go for something else. There's, and like you said, maybe the spirits see us as light. There's just so much going on that we don't know there. Well, uh, Dr. Michael Persinger, um, who has um, quite a bit of experiences in what they call uh, near-death experiences, where people have actually been cl uh, declared clinically dead uh, for several minutes in some cases. And, and sometimes you, the people that are clinically dead uh, that are later revived will tell things like they're seeing they're they're floating over their body and they're seeing the doctors frantically working on their body and uh, nothing's happening and all of a sudden they'll see this 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 again i call it a portal <laughs> but an opening with, with a tunnel of white light and beautiful music and, and it's not scary uh and people start going down that tunnel and then down there, they start to see shapes. They start to see familiar faces that have passed on. And then they get to, to nearly get to the other side. And then maybe, you know, they're revived or perhaps in some cases, the, uh, their loved ones say, and this has been told over and over again, it's not your time. Go mm -hmm. back, finish your, finish your work here on earth. And then all of a sudden they're revived. So, I mean, that's, I think is a little bit different from I think you know our our um, our our soul, if you will, or our energy in our body. I don't think it's going to be that big of a white light. You know, it could be a smaller little white light. Yeah, we don't know. These are, again, it's just my theory. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the whole idea of uh, you know going to the other side uh, is, is has been it's been a lot, a lot of different paranormal um, um, talks and and. Um, uh, movies and documentaries. Um, uh, we just don't know. Um, we don't know what, what it is. I mean, uh, some people, like if you remember the movie Ghost with Patrick Swayze, and when after he died, he saw this light, but he was afraid of it. He didn't know what it was. First of all, he didn't even know he was dead until he came back and saw his, his dead body being held by his fiance Demi Moore. Uh, and then he goes, what's going on here? And then he saw the light. The light was coming for him, basically, or showing him the, the way to come out. And he, he didn't want to go. He got scared and he ran away. And then later at the end of the movie, you know, as he was contacted by, you know, the psychic or the woman that was you know, Whoopi Goldberg, who was being able to talk, said that that's your way out. And then then he came, then it came from him. He just he was kind of absorbed by that light. Now, is that actually how it happens? We don't know. Uh, again, they may have. And this is what I look for too. Uh, people say, "Well, why are you sitting here watching all the credits? The movie's over. Let's go, right?" No, I watch for people who are technical advisors to the movie, and in many cases, they are people in the paranormal field, uh, investigators, you know, like myself and others, who have actually you know, done stuff. I, I was actually uh, uh, slightly involved uh, as a technical advisor uh, for the new, uh, for the movie Shutter when it first came out. That was actually contacted, and they actually wanted to know uh, my opinion 
on certain things, certain aspects of the movie, because they wanted to make it as realistic as possible. So they actually contacted people who had been uh, into photography, like I had been for at that time, almost more than 30 years. So uh, I think, as I said, people in the, the Hollywood are trying to make it as realistic uh, as possible. Um, there may be some shock scenes and sort and so in, in the movie, but that's just you know for entertainment purposes and keep you on the edge of your seat. But uh, the realistic uh, uh, possibility, uh, they always try to reach out to people that have had experiences themselves or investigate. Well, that's really cool that you got. Uh, did you get a credit for that actually? Like a like a, on the credits. No, I didn't actually, but I mean, I actually got, uh, there was a write-up in, in a, uh, an article, and I actually, I believe there was something in some of the, in the initial flyers that went out that had mentioned my name on it. Well, that's really cool. But hey, listen, Dale, we talked about EVPs, and you sent me some incredible EVPs, so I want to get to the EVP portion of this episode. This is going to be absolutely incredible, people, because Dale has sent me some of the EVPs that he's recorded with the equipment that he described earlier in this episode, and I want to play some of these for you, and I, I think you're going to be absolutely blown away, but I need Dale to tell me a little bit about where he got these, so let's start with the first one that we're going to do. And this is Get Out at St. Mary's. Now, can you can you give me a little backstory about this? Which St. Mary's is this? Sure. St. Mary's uh, Hospital, sometimes called Mercy Hospital in Gary, Indiana. It was a location that the entire Michael Jackson family was born, believe it or not. Okay. Uh, and now it's a rundown area. It's part of the Gary Police Department. In fact, their, their, their locker room is where the old morgue used to be, which is kind of cool. But we actually got permission twice to go in there by the Gary police. And they actually you know, went through and they made sure that there was nobody in before we got there. Um, for this EDP, uh, there are five floors. And I had turned on this, this obelisk. Uh, the obelisk, as I mentioned, is a word-generating device. But if you put it in what's called phonetic mode, it allows the spirits to form their own words, putting together vowels and consonants to form words, and then putting those words into full sentences. I had this in my top pocket. We were walking up five flights of stairs. It didn't say a darn thing until we got to this room that was filled, what I thought was floor to ceiling with patients' records. Now, talk about a HIPAA, HIPAA violation. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they were like all over the place. And we didn't walk in. We didn't touch anything. But I like to sometimes, with permission, you know, take something from the place I'm at. And I got a nice little... Um, museum and part of my basement for all, all the places I've been to. And I got some amazing stuff. I, buildings are no longer even there. Uh, and so the person that was filming was my videographer, uh, Joe Tito. And uh, he goes, wow. In fact, it was a video, which is kind of cool. And you can actually see the video if you go to my site. So we're walking in total darkness with the night shot. We see, he pans into this room. He sees his floor to ceiling and boxes. And he goes, wow, look at all those patients' records. You want to take some? Want to take, he was like, he was going to say, "Do you want to take one of those, like, for your collection?" And before he, he got the words out of his mouth, the obelisk says, "Get out of here!" Oh my God! Okay, people, here we go. We're going to listen to this. This is at St. Mary's. Listen for the "get out." Here we go. Wow! Oh 
Criminal Records. Mm -hmm. Oh, take some of those? Who? Mm -hmm. Take some of that for your. Uh, uh, did you just say get out of here? That's what it sounded like to me. Did it? Sounded like. Oh my. Sorry, I was just. Oh my God! Let's go back. Let's back that up a little bit. Here we go. Let's hear. It, it sounds like a robot voice, like uh, like you, like a yeah. speaking spell or something. But clearly, that, it says get out of here. The, the speech synthesizer in this device, and it's affected by EMF. So the spirits are able to take their their energies and 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 manipulate the device to pull out either the appropriate word in the dictionary or to create their own words in the, the phonetic mode. And it does sound robotic because it's, it's, it's a speech synthesizer. Wow. Okay, so let's hear that again. Here we go. So that for your... Uh, Whoa! Did you just get out of here? <laughs> Did you hear that? Oh, my God. Let's hear that again. Oh, take some of those. Ooh. Take some of that for your... Uh, oh. Did you just get out of here? That's what it Oh my God, that was pretty clear. It didn't say a single word until we got up to that room. And after it said that, it shut up for pretty much almost the rest of the night, except it did say that came through later on. But, um, you know, that was so, so right on schedule. I mean, there's no mistaking what it's saying. Wow. Yeah, you could clearly hear it say, get out of here. It's not even, it's not even, uh, it's not even a, it's not even a question, but the next one that we're going to play, you labeled more than a hundred and tell me about this one. Okay. We were in uh, Goshen, Indiana. Uh, we were at a meet and greet and they were, there was two small cemeteries that they said were uh, possibly haunted. Uh, but there, when they say cemeteries, there's no stones, there's no markers. All it was, was a, like a little opening and they had McConaughey cemetery and there was a wooded area. So we were using the Phasma box, and the Phasma box is a application that you can use on your tablet or your or laptop. It's, it has to be a Windows-based system you can't use on your phone. It uses a reverb and echo effect mixed with a internet radio and sound banks. And so I asked the question simply, well, how many graves are here? Because there was no stones, and there was a short pause, and then it says, a, a voice comes through, and it says, more than 100. Oh, my God. God. Okay, so let's listen to this one, people. We're listening for more than 100. Here we go. Wait. Here we go. People are buried here. Oh, my. over 100. Uh, Did you hear that? Yeah. yeah. That was very and let's hear this one again because that just gave me chills every time i listen to this i i instantly get chills because it's so perfectly clear here we go how many people are buried here over a hundred holy cow that is uh that's over a hundred. Did you hear that? Yeah. That is so clear and yeah. perfect. And you I said that that's the phasma box that does that. That's the phasma box. Yeah, I initially thought it said over a hundred, but when I think when we listened to it headphones, it said more than a hundred. Uh, but the other two women that were with me, part of my group, they both heard it at the same time, and you heard the other woman say repeat what it had said. So she heard it clearly. And this is what I love about these real time devices. When you use obelisks, ghost boxes, phasma boxes, if you get a response, 
then you can build upon that response and ask another question. Wow. Okay. So what about this next one you labeled? It doesn't work. This is even creepier. Uh, we were in a place called the Elgin Casket Factory, which actually at one time built caskets. And around Halloween, they dressed it up to as a play place for people to get the bejesus scared out of them by <laughs> dressed up in bloody outfits. Uh, so they have a lot of stuff up there for effect only. So they had a fuse box on the wall that was kind of dripping with blood. It was not real blood, by the way. <laughs> and it wasn't connected to anything, okay? So it was just there for the effect. Now, just as so we stopped there, because there they, they told us there was some activity taking place. So we started to use this SLS camera, which picks up the stick figures. And they said, my assistant said, there's a figure standing right by that box, and he's touching that box. And I look at the thing, I said, sure enough. So I said, I said, okay, if you're there, something to the effect, if you're there, uh, turn, that, turn one of those switches, turn that box on. And he says, it doesn't work. Oh, God. Okay, here we go, sure. ladies and gentlemen. Here we go. It doesn't work. Turn one of the switches. Why? It doesn't work. Oh, my God. I said, turn one of the switches. It doesn't work. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That was good. Oh, my God. That gave me the chills. Let's listen to it again. We got to hear it twice. Did you hear it the first time? It's almost like you can't believe it because it's so creepy. But here we go. It doesn't work. Turn one of the switches. Why? Out of order. Oh, my work. God. Let's hear that again. Out of order. Oh. Here you go. Turn one the switch. Woo! That's pretty good. How do you are you are you numb at this point, Dale? When you have these experiences, you hear these voices. Are you numb at this point, or are there things that still shock you and scare you? Stuff that still shocks me. Uh, when I first started to use the the um, um, the ghost box, and I said, "Well, what you just picking up? You're just picking up radio chatter. You're picking up stuff that's coming through, bleeding through the radio." But then when you're doing something very fast, uh, scanning extremely fast, and, and when you're going, and each is a station, how do you get a whole sentence coming through? So as you, as you begin to tune your, 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 your ear, so you'll be able to, at first you don't really hear much. When you first try it the very first time, you go, it just sounds like radio you know, scanning. And then you begin to hear these voices that come through. Same thing with the phasma box. Now, when you start getting... You, you might get a word or something, but when you start getting a word that answers what you just asked, or in this case, full sentences coming through in the fathom box, how do you explain it? I can't. Oh, man, it's it's clear what it is. I mean, we know as intuitive people, as spiritual people that have had experiences that are outside of third dimension, it's it's old news to us. I wouldn't say old news, but it's it's nothing we haven't experienced. But for a lot of people that haven't had these experiences, it's pretty shocking. And they probably want to be in denial about it because it's so scary. So the next clip we're going to listen to is almost made it need power. Can you tell me about that one, Dale? Yeah, this, this is kind of sad. Uh, we, we have invest, we have investigated um, for several years in a row, uh, the location of crash flight 191 in uh, uh that crashed right after takeoff in O'Hare Airport and killed all 271 people on board, including a couple of people on the ground. Uh, so we went there on, on May 25th and we got there and we wanted to get there before 3.05 PM, uh, which is the time of the crash. And uh, we were using a ghost box, an SB7. We were scanning as fast as we could. 
And I forget what I what I asked, uh, but I was was asking questions specifically to try to get names. And we actually did get some creepy names and so forth, uh, and uh, some very interesting responses. But then we got these two, the, the voice of this two gentlemen, uh, and it, it's not as clear as I would like it, but it's still very clear. Um, if you think of what they were going through trying to struggle this airplane that had no hydraulics. They had lost all the hydraulics and they were doomed pretty much. They only were like, got to about 300 feet above the ground. Um, a voice comes through and says, almost made it, which is interesting because they, when they, when they later looked at this, uh, you know, the crash and everything, they said it was remarkable that he kept it in the air as long as he did. And then it said right after that, need power. We needed more power to try to get up. So that's very, very relevant to where we were at. Okay, so here we go, people. This is it. Almost made it. Need power. This is what we're listening for. Here we go. So that one, you're using the radio frequency scanner, it sounds like, where it's going through all the radio frequencies as fast as it possibly can. Right. But as, as I mentioned, each is a, is a radio station. So you can might be able to get like, because so, you're scanning very fast, but when you get almost made it, and it's the same voice, it's the same male that later says need power, okay, if you're scanning, if, if by theory you're saying that this is the radio that's being picked up, then that voice would have to be over several stations to put together to make that voice, which to me is just impossible. What I think is happening here is the spirits are speaking in between the white noise, in between the channels, uh, and using white noise as an amplitude modulator. Really? Okay, so they're able to push through those radio, almost use the radio signals as a piggyback, and then get yeah. their information in between the, the when it drops out. Yes. Okay, so the next one we're going to listen to is you labeled geriatrics. Can you tell me about that one? Okay, this was when we were at Old South Pittsburgh Hospital in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee. And it's an old rundown hospital that was closed in 1995. And we were there all night. In fact, we actually were able to sleep in, in, the, in the patient's rooms, which is pretty cool. Uh, we had cameras set up all night. And we were going to start an EVP session. We were all sitting down in the geriatrics hallway. Okay. Okay. And uh, we turned the, the obelisk on, and I think you'll hear the obelisk go through the various uh, modes here. And then all of a sudden, uh, it just says geriatrics. Okay. Well. So this is what we're listening for, people. We're listening for the ghost telling us the word geriatrics. Here we go. I heard it. I heard it around the six second mark. It said geriatrics very clearly. Okay, let's listen to that again. Oh, I heard it. 
Geriatrics. Here, one more time. Wow. It's interesting that they push through with these random statements sometimes just to let you know that they're there. If you notice on that particular clip right there, when it said geriatrics, the background has stopped. It's like it pushed through and that it was gone. All of a sudden it goes geriatrics. And then it goes right. I did notice. I did notice that, that the noise seemed to drop out there. Exactly. Because it was using, I believe it was using the white noise and a lot of researchers, including Sarah Easter from the American Society, American Association for Electronic Voice Phenomena, AAEVP, would often use white noise or pink noise in the background when she was recording trying to contact spirits because she believed the spirits could use that to amplify their voice, like you say, piggyback on top of that. Ah, wow. Yeah, it's pretty mind blowing. I mean, that seems like common sense, but what's really weird is that on the other side, these beings know how to do that somehow, that they're able to understand that they can project their energy in that way. It's really interesting. Well, that's what we, when we're doing these sessions, you know, we, we try to bring it down to their level. Okay. Because if you, and this is what I see on TV all the time. You'll, you'll hear somebody in a haunted house that may be going back to the 1800s, and they'll say, you see, go over and touch that mel meter. Well, they don't know what a mel meter is, right? Right. You got to say, see that black box over there. Now, they know what a black box is. Touch that black box. Or talk into that digital recorder. Well, they don't know what a digital recorder, but talk into that red light, and they'll know what it is. It's the same thing with... Uh, you know, using, you know, the obelisk, I mean, we put this little black box down there. They said that black box, if you if you manipulate that black box or if you use that black box or if you touch it, we'll be able to hear your voice. So we kind of instruct them what to do. And sometimes initially we'll get a lot of junk that comes through it first. This is an indication like they're like a child with a new toy. They're trying to play with it to try to get some words to come through to make sense. And then all of a sudden, intelligence begins to come out. Then questions begin to get answered. Then full sentences come out. We know that all the time. Okay. And the next one we're going to listen to is titled Therapy. So can you tell me about that one? Okay. Uh, I believe both of these last two were taken at Waverly Hill Sanitarium in Louisville, Kentucky. We yes. investigated that several times. Um we were in, um, of course, Waverly Hills was a tuberculosis sanitarium, and many people died in there. A lot of people died. And uh, we were trying to uh, communicate um, with uh, spirits. We were using um, uh, what they call a mini box or um, a Frank's box. Uh, and Rosemary Ellen Guiley, who had been with my team and I had known her for uh, more than 30 years, she was there with us. Unfortunately, she died just a couple of years ago. Um, but uh, she was using that along with a, um, a different devices that were there. And uh, these voices came through. And again, this is a, a tuberculosis sanitarium, a hospital. And you get this voice that comes through that simply says, needs therapy. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. So here we go, people. We're going to listen for this. We're listening for needs therapy. Here we go. <laughs> Okay. 
Wow, you can hear that about the six second mark here. Let's listen again. It sounds like somebody saying, I need therapy. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. It's so amazing. Now again, this is this is similar. This is like before the SB7 came out. These were called Frank's boxes or Joe's boxes. And whoever made the box, they named it with their first name. Frank Sumption was the first guy that came up with the, with the ghost box. And... Uh, um, these again scan AMF and frequencies, but they scan so fast. How would you get need therapy? You know all that coming through as fast as that thing is scanning. Uh, you can hear the scan in the background, the kind of noise between the white noise. And I, I think what we're picking up, and if we're if we're picking up radio stuff, that's just crazy. Because again, we're in a tuberculosis sanitarium, and we got stuff that's relevant to being in a hospital. Yeah, I mean, if you think about the mathematic. Uh, numbers behind it, the synchronicity, the potential of something like that happening. I mean, that in itself, even if it was not a ghost or entity, would be astronomically mind-blowing. So, it, 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 like, the, the math just doesn't add up. What seems more likely is that you're picking up these spirits. And we got one more. I don't know if it's the grand finale because they've all been so amazing. But this is one that says medical care. So, is this something you capture in the same place at the same time? This, this was in the exact same location. I, I'm, I'm, tr I'm, not, I'm not sure if this was the first or the second one. But um, again, uh, you'll hear the voice of Rosemary Ellen Guiley, and she's saying what she's got set up here and blah, blah, blah. And, and she, she had picked up stuff here in the past because she had been there many times in the past. I think we were there three times at Waverly Hills. And uh, uh, towards the end, all of a sudden, you, you have this voice that says, uh, um, um, Something about medical care. Yeah, uh, needs medical care. Yeah. Needs medical care. Okay, people, let's listen to this one. We're listening for needs medical care. Here we go. Whoa. Whoa. Wow. So let's hear that one more time. It's mind blowing. It gives you chills. Exact same voice. It's the exact same voice as the guy that says needs therapy. Yeah. And I, to it's be honest, Dale, I thought he said, I need therapy. Yeah. And then he said, I need medical care or medical care is what you picked up. And it's, right. oh my God. So somebody's having this traumatic experience. They think they're still in this hospital and they need treatment. They're just trapped. They're trapped. That's oh, yeah. gosh, man. Oh, that is a lot to process. And that's, that's really, actually it, it's kind of sad thinking that after all these years, and in some cases, centuries, you know, that there are still things there hanging around places like Gettysburg places that, you know, in England, that go back even further back than, than our history. They got spirits back there of King Henry VIII and, and things up there like tower of London. It's just crazy that you think that they're still around and what's even, even sadder. And um, you know, maybe we can do another one of these sessions in the future. I, I have actually voices of children. Oh. Uh, that, that to me is extremely sad. You know, some actually calling out for their, for their parents, oh, calling God. out, calling out for mommy and so forth. That's heartbreaking. <laughs> it's, it tugs at your heart that they're still there. And, you know, those are the ones that, you know, 
when we go to these places, we're told by the people who own the venue, you can't do any cleansing or clearing because that's how they make money. But, you know, sometimes I almost like to just go there with a psychic and just say, hey, there's this child here. See if you can point the child to where it needs to go. Wait a second, Dale. Did you just say that some of these places do not allow the spirit to be sent to the next place because they're making money off of it? Exactly. Exactly. And I won't, I won't mention it, but a lot of them will say in their disclaimer <sighs> and in their rules, no cleansing, no Ouija <gasps> boards, uh, no uh, uh, a spirit spirit removal or whatever they call it when you're in the cl- oh. you're supposed to be there to enjoy it, to get, you know, to talk to the spirits, but leave them there because we got other people coming to want to experience <sighs> that. That seems almost like torture, like slavery in a way. It's terrible. Yeah. It's but like, again, I believe, I, I truly believe that the spirits there and, and generally spirits that are trapped, they have their own free will. They can come, they can go as they please. I mean, that's why sometimes when people get involved with, you know, I don't like to call it, it's, it's a term that's used, but I don't like to use it called spirit removal. When they do that and they say, well, the spirit's still here. Well, I mean, if the spirit is a surviving personality, <laughs> really attached to this location or attached to a person, say, hey, was your father? Your father's looking in. Why would you want to drive your father away? Or your father's going to say, hell no, I still want to stay here for a while. So they have their own free will. So even in the places like, you know, Waverly Hills or other places that are public venues that are haunted, and they're, they're all over the country, by the way, you know, the Queen Mary Sloss Furnace, I mean, you name it. Um, they don't have to stay there. Okay, that's their choice to stay there, though, too. Okay. I mean, sure, the, the, the venue is going to make money. You know, I mean, sure. And even if there wasn't spirits there, it's still a creepy place to be in the middle, in the middle of the night you know, with your equipment and doing stuff like that for other people. But I think they have their own self-interest. If they want to move on, they can move on. Wow, it just seems like exploitation. I guess that's really just what it feels like. Yeah. You know, it doesn't feel good internally. But you did mention that you went to... England. When when you did go there, did you find anything in in your paranormal research? Oh yes, yeah. We uh, I was there twice. I was there in 1985, 1987. 1985, I actually was there with a very small group of people. Uh, I think four people, and then the driver and the guide. And the guide was Tom Parrott at the time. He was chairman of the Ghost Club, and later I became a honorary lifetime member of that very prestigious. Uh, organization that had members like uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and Sherlock Holmes and and uh, uh, Peter Underwood and many other very famous uh, British society uh, group people. Um, and we were actually able to take a two-week tour of haunted locations, spending the night in haunted locations, had extreme access to to dining with royalty. We, di- we dined with, with uh, baron and baronesses and, and really... <laughs> It was just amazing going in some of these places. Now, we had a couple of really strange experiences. Um, uh, I didn't really have anything except a, f- a few feelings here and there. But I remember in one place we were spending the night at, the, the, this gentleman that was with us from New York, his name was Robert. I won't mention his last name, but uh, he was up there and he didn't have a, a bathroom in his in his room. So he had to go across to, to use the shower. And then he would come back wrapped in his robe and towel and everything. And as he came back from the bathroom, we were already downstairs getting ready for, for breakfast. And we're waiting on him. And all of a sudden, this grown man screams top of his lungs. And, of course, we all went flying up the stairs. And this guy's literally he's white, white as a ghost. Uh, he, was a, you know, he wasn't the kind of guy, to me, 
that looked like he would really get upset. And he said, I, just, I saw this woman in white drift across the hallway and run into one of the rooms. Oh. Uh, that was pretty cool. And at Barry Pomeroy Castle, we had a uh, one of the people that was with us, also from New York, her name was Brittany, and she was a psychic. And the story was that there was two women that they were sisters, that they were in love with the same guy, and that's never a good, never a good scenario. <laughs> so the older sister apparently somehow locked her younger sister in the dungeon. She starved to death in the dungeon. And then, of course, the, the older, and they looked, they looked very similar, so it was almost like they were twins. So the guy didn't really know he was going out with the right girl or whatever. And there's been reports of that female on the top of the ramparts beckoning people to come in. Oh, and man. as we got out of the, the car, she looks over there and she goes, uh, uh, I'm feeling something really bad. I'm not, and she went back in the car and locked herself in the car. So, yeah, we had some crazy stuff. Again, back in 85, I didn't have a lot of equipment. I couldn't bring a lot of equipment, you know, in, on, on a plane to London and to do all that traveling. But uh, I took a lot of pictures. Uh, we did have some a few personal experiences here and there. I'd love to go back one day with some of the equipment I got now and set up some stuff. We actually went to Highgate Cemetery where the legends of the Highgate vampire uh, back in the, uh, uh, the 1980s and early 1990s. Uh, this this creature that was attacking people near uh, Swain's Lane, uh, a road called Swain's Lane. Okay. Uh, there was a number of books written about that, including one by uh, uh uh, Dave, Dave Fer David Ferrant, I believe, uh, that was actually a gentleman that actually thought there were real life vampires out there. And he was actually going into cemetery at night, breaking into crypts and driving wooden stakes in people's hearts. Because he actually thought he was fighting these vampires and they were real. Right. And he actually got arrested for grave desecration <laughs> of a corpse. <laughs> He might have yeah. went a little bit too far, but Dale, yeah. thank you so much for being on the show. It's been an amazing episode. We're definitely going to have you back. We've got more EVPs to listen to. We've got more things to talk about. You've had decades worth of experiences and so many stories yet to be told. Um, but I do want to tell people where to find you so we can find you at ghostresearch.org. That is the website where you can be found. You can find some of the EVPs. Some of the EVPs we listen to today might be there, but there's a bunch that aren't. So you can go there and check that out. And he has books that are available. Windy City Ghosts 1 and 2. You can definitely get a hold of those. A Field Guide to Spirit Photography, Illuminating the Darkness, the Mystery of Spook Lights, Field Guide to Ghost Hunting Techniques, and Field Guide to Haunted Highways and Bridges. And of course, if you're interested, you can start your own local branch and you're looking for people to do that. Is that correct? Absolutely. In fact, we, we do still accept members <clears throat> here in the Chicagoland area. We got a lot of things planned for this year, including a trip to Gettysburg, a trip to the Buddy Holly crash site, uh, the Blixa Axe House, Ferrar School, trip to Tennessee and a lot of places locally here in Illinois and Indiana. So if you join the Ghost Research Society, you will then be able to participate in these field trips to these amazing locations. Absolutely. Oh, well, if you're in the Chicagoland area, you better check it out. Because if I was there, I'm in Portland, Oregon, but if I was there, I'd already be a member. So there's <laughs> no doubt about that. But thank you so much for being here, Dale. Is there anything you want to leave people with before we go? 
Well, the last thing I would just say is that if you do have an encounter with a ghost, if you think you have something going on, first of all, just realize that ghosts cannot, you know, can't harm you. There's not, there haven't been that many reports of any actual physical harm. Uh, try to document what you can. Um, try to call out to a professional team uh, and make sure that any team that comes in doesn't charge you because we don't charge for our work. You shouldn't have to charge for investigating somebody's house. But remember that uh, spirits come and go and uh, they're, they're, they're not harmful. They, they often are just uh, friends and loved ones or people that lived in the house before you. That's right. So you don't necessarily need to be terrified. You don't need to be scared. You don't need to have these preconceived notions about them being evil. They could just be a benign or even happy spirit that are there to be with you in that space. Absolutely. All right. Well, Dale, please hold on the line while we play the outro music. And everyone, we'll see you next week. Midnight on Earth.